do. Check. There we go. I'm not entirely sure it's blowing hot air at all. <laughs> it was the first time I took a look at the heating system in this place. So I was like, oh no, just close the door again. Try to turn it on. Um, we'll see how we get on with that. Um, hey, it's good to be back. Um, a lot going on. We were, uh, group of us were down in, um, Lydia was leading worship with Joshua last night. Group of, group of us were down in um, uh, Enniskillen with uh, some of the friends down there. Uh, we had about 35 or 40 people who had never been introduced to the Holy Spirit, really. And uh, we cut loose last night. We didn't get home to very late. Uh, so uh, I was like, and then this morning, who, who knew that they moved the marathon date to this morning? So the marathon's in Belfast this morning. Thomas McKevin, you should have texted me. Spent, spent 45 minutes driving around Belfast trying to get from one side of it to the other. Had to end up around the motorway and down into Lisburn. So I spent an hour and 10 minutes trying to get here this morning. So, but I'm here. Must be going to be good. Anyway, we're in our serious culture of honor. And... Um, uh, culture of honor is something that I suppose has been in our house from day one. Um, uh, when we first thought about planting a church back in Antrim, back in the day, um, we we had gone through, I suppose we had planted, I, we were in Christian Fellowship Church, I was there for about 20 years, we planted Christian Fellowship Church in Antrim. We'd been going there for a while and uh, we'd hit a, a rocky ship, to put it mildly, um, we had ended up for about, I would say, probably two and a half to three years, were the hardest three years of our entire life um, in ministry. And uh, I'll not bore you with the details of that, but thankfully God's redeeming an awful lot of that, in, even in the last few months. Um, but what had happened was we'd gone through this process, and what I realized was that um, the, the, the way the church had handled itself for a very long time meant that uh, you know, Antrim's probably a little bit like one of those places where, uh, how do I put this without sounding rude, but they're not the most refined people in the world. In fact, they're, they're, they're rough around the edges, they're, they're couth, they're, they're rednecks in many ways, and, um, you know, they're just bread and butter, earthy type people. And one of the things we realized fairly early on is that the standard of biblical expectation that the church had created meant that these people could not naturally come into church and survive for any length of time because it became about behavior modification. And um, what happened was you would pick people's character flaws or you would start to give them a hard time about who they were and you start talking to them about their sin and you started giving them a, a, a really high... And the problem is um, they, weren't, they weren't ready to, to be discipled. They were in what I call the pre-discipleship process. But what I realized was that the church that I'd been in that had what I call a very very wide grace culture um, had new leadership and that grace culture had narrowed very thin. So much so that character flaws became an awful problem for lots of people. And I was the pastor and it became a, my character flaws became a problem too. They're still a problem today. And uh, 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 what happened was um, the standard by which we're called to live as Christians became the goal, not relationship with Jesus. And for about two and a half years, um, we, we struggled a little bit of that because it's, it, you know, when you're called by God, it's, it, it, he refines us enough to love us too much to leave us the way we are. But if the church begins to focus on that, we become about behavior modification, not about relationship with God. That, that gives you a little bit of insight. And what happened was, we've been really struggling with some things that were going on, and uh, we were we, we were in a terrible spot that 
that was forcing us to make decisions about what God had asked us to do over how we treat people. And um, ultimately, that's what you know, resulted in the start of the journey. And two things that took place over that time that really shaped who we are. Um, I was heading off very burnt out in a July holiday, and Rachel and Ian Somerville and a few other people were, were invited to lead worship in Strasbourg. I don't even know how that happened, but they ended up getting an invite to a church in Strasbourg to lead worship. But we decided we'd fly in there and we'd go on a holiday in July in, in, in France. And Ian and Jill Somerville were coming with us. And uh, um, uh, whenever I was arriving in, and back then, I read a lot more books today, but back then I really wasn't much of a reader. And, um, but somebody had handed me a book and said, John, you need to read this book. And uh, so we, we had gone a day early, and we were waiting on the rest of the guys arriving in. They were coming in to Frankfurt Han Airport, which is an old military base in the middle of nowhere. And we were parked outside for a couple of hours, and it was a Ryan Air flight, and of course it was on time, not. And so we were waiting and waiting and waiting. And I, I pulled this book out as I sat in the car. Kids weren't very big at the time. They were kind of in car seats at the back. And I remember opening up this book, um, a book called Culture of Honor by Danny Silk. And uh, as I read the first two chapters, uh, the tears started rolling down my face. It was one of those moments when God just took, you, you know when you're reading every sentence in a book, and it's like, oh, oh my God, oh, oh. It's like something was going on. And, and these, two, these two chapters literally had the most profound impact on my life in that moment. Um, we pulled it up, put it away, went over, picked up uh, Ian and Jill, and the other guys were coming to lead worship. And Ian grabbed me as he was waiting on his guitar to come out through customs. He says, I need to talk to you. I says, what, what's up? He says, look, I've been reading this book on the plane on the way over here, and I need to tell you about the first two chapters of this book. And I says, what was it? He said, it was Culture of Honor by Danny Silk. What we didn't know at the time was Ian and I, separately from each other, were reading the same two chapters at the very same time, unbeknownst to each other. And um, uh, that became a massive fundamental in how I felt that the church needed to have what I call a grace revival. Uh, and it needed to have a change from legalism and pharisaical thinking and religiosity into understanding that every single one of us have got huge character flaws. And that God still, in spite of that, loves us. Now, he wants us to move forward and develop that, but what had happened was that became the standard first before you could belong. And the church needs to have a grace revival because that's not the way it's around. And Danny Silk gave us language for what we were going through at the time in order to help us understand how to do this better. This, I suppose, became built in. And uh, one of the things that, 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 that he shares within the book is from 1 Peter 2, 17. It says, that, you know, and this one's a hard one, Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. Um, love produces honor, and honor produces love. In his book, Danny says, he said that um, uh, honor is the currency of heaven. And I didn't really understand that because we've got a strange idea of honor, especially in our country. Uh, honor can mean an awful lot of different things. I, I'm learning as a, as a teacher, preacher, pastor, whatever, I, I'm learning that when we use... Um, <laughs> Yeah, there's a new one coming, by the way. Somebody's thankfully buying us one over here this week. And um, uh, what happens is honor um, honors the currency of heaven, but whenever we, we learn to honor, when we learn to love, when we learn to, to accept each other at face value, God does something incredibly powerful. And um, 
But what, what happened was, whenever, whenever you understand that honor produces something, um, that, that we're, meant to, we're meant to live together with these relationships that God has put into us. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, in his book, Danny talks about covenant relationships. And what are covenant relationships? Well, you might say, well, I have a covenant relationship with my, my wife or, or, or my, you know, I've got a covenant relationship with my children. But actually, as a church community, we're meant to have these covenant relationships. Um, and, and what had happened was, um, when God puts a covenant relationship into your life and you begin to understand that, what it means is that that, that relationship is so steadfast, it cannot be broken. And what I mean by that, well, it's, it's not, the relationship is not defined by your character flaws, your sin, your behavior, or, or how you live your life. Are, are you with me? Because a covenant relationship is, I'm in relationship with you no matter what you're like. And better still, I won't let what you're like define my opinion of you. Uh, so when you have a covenant relationship, it, it's quite interesting what can happen. When you have a covenant relationship, you can have a really good argy-bargy with the other person. A few years ago when we were doing COVID, um, and we were in 15D doing uh, live, we did live stream in there. It was a small room, and we had a team of people who were doing that. And um, at the early stage of this, when, whenever we're social distancing, do, do you remember that? What were we thinking? It's like, anyway, we, we, we had these social distancing thing, and we're in there, and everybody's standing on a little X on the floor, and we're, we're trying to record it. And um, uh, there was a disagreement on how we should do this. And there, was two, there were two camps during that in the church world. There's them that had, like, throw the COVID stuff out the window and don't follow every rules. And then we're, we're in a medical town because Antrim Hospital's there, and we have all these doctors, nurses, and people are going, like, oh, we've got to do it by the book. And so we had this kind of argument going on. But anyway, what had happened was, Ian Somerville and I ended up having an absolute old ding-dong. But what, what we didn't realize was that Ian and I have ding-dongs all the time. Like, we have really robust conversations. But it was the first time that our team had saw Ian and I do that. And I looked over, and Ian and I were watching all their faces, and they were all like, are you two okay? And uh, I was like, we start laughing, because I'm like, oh, no, no, we do this all the time. It's like, because for somebody else, it looked like conflict. For us, it, for them, it looked like we were fighting. But actually, what we were doing, we were fighting together. And it's really important that when you have a covenant relationship, and 17 years ago, God, God put Ian and I together for some weird, unknown reason. But he built a covenant relationship that I think was a, was a match made in heaven in many ways. Um, no, I'm not sure Jill would agree, but that's another story. Um, but um, what happened was God just put a partnership together and created the covenant relationship. And I can tell you, we've been through thick and thin together. More thick than thin, to be honest with you. And what happens is, is that, that uncompromisingly is that it's not about who we are and what we do. It's about the nature of what God's called us to do. What it means is we can have an absolute burning of the highest order and walk out that door and it doesn't affect who we are or our relationship. Is that a kind of, if you get that, you'll understand a little bit about what culture of honor is. It's, it's understanding that, that the church hasn't done this very well for lots and lots of years. Um, I, I, over the last year, I spoke to three different pastors who, who have um, you know, got themselves in a lot of trouble. And instantly, they're, they're, they're shunned by their community. They're put out and they're thrown under the bus. And I'm like, I'm not sure that's the church that Jesus envisaged. Like, don't get me wrong, there, there's, a, there's a higher calling for those in leadership to behave and, and, and develop and disciple. But there's a process biblically to bring someone back into a relationship. If the relationship breaks because of someone's sin, 
I'm not sure that we understand fully the love of the Father. And culture of honor uh, teaches us to do that. Um, we, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that we're meant to live these independent lives. They're, they, these, these relationships that we have are meant to be eternal. You know, we're going to go to heaven together. We're going to be together for a very, very long time. And guess what? All the people we don't like who are Christians are going to be there too. And, 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 and unfortunately, we, we haven't always done that because we like to hang around with people that we like. And yet Jesus didn't determine whether he liked someone or not. He just hung around with people. In fact, he hung around with most of the dodgiest people on the planet at the time. And yet, what do we do? Well, we like to come in and we like to have our nice holy people and our holy huddles and we do our own people. And, you know, I often say to Christians, how many non-Christians you have, if you've got more Christian friends than non-Christian friends, you, you, you don't understand who Jesus was. You know, if you've got more non-Christian friends than, than Christian friends, you're onto a winner. They will refine you, cut you open, pull you apart, ask you spiritual questions. They will swear at you. They will call you all sorts of names. And it's the best fun ever. Can I really encourage you, if you don't have Christian friends or non-Christian friends, go find some. You know, I'm, I'm encouraging our staff team, our people, to go and find them. Jazz is here. Jazz does comedy, the comedy stuff. You want to hear the stories she comes back with about stories and, and the world that she's moving in. And I'm going, I am not called to that world. I'm really glad you are. But 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 uh, um, a really cool story. Um, um, one of my pastor friends got into fly fishing um, and he wanted to take him out. He can't fly fish for love or money. But anyway, it's actually really hard to do. And you take a bit of time to work on it. We were out fishing, and uh, one of my friends that I do a little bit of hunting and fishing with, he's, he's, he, you know, he knows I'm a Christian, knows I'm a pastor, he's a friend of mine, but he's, he's not a Christian, but he asked many questions, and I haven't, I've, he, said, he said to me about a month ago, he says, you've never preached to me, John. I said, do you want me to? He says, no, 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 I'm not asking for permission. I said, but I'm just curious why you, you don't. I said, well, I think it's more effective that you live your life on a godly life, and if you see Jesus in me, then you ask some questions. He says, he says, well, you definitely do things differently to other people. I says, that's right. I says, because I, and he says, and you won't let people, because there's a few things going on. He says, you won't let them bother you. I says, no, that's right. I says, why do they bother you? And, and I do this wishful thing. I says, I wish you had the peace that I have. I, I wish you understood who, who, who I knew. Anyway, Brett was there, and Andy Gamble, who's a pastor friend of mine, we were fishing. And uh, this guy came up the back of the river, and he, was, he had this old crummy fly rod that was, you know, something from the 50s. And he had an even worse line on it. And the guy was fishing away beside us. And I'm like, well, this poor man's not catching a fish for loving your money with that gear. So I, I went over to him. We started chatting. And I said, look, give me that there. First of all, go buy yourself a new fly rod. 50 quid will buy you one on eBay. Just get rid of that thing. And buy yourself a new line. And then I set him up with a, a line leader. And I give him a couple of our flies. And um, he, I said, you know, cast over in there. Get into that run. And you'll catch a fish. First cast, he was in, he was in the big fish. And he was like smiling from ear to ear. He says, this is my first dollar confession. He said, I've never caught one before. And we, we started having this whole conversation with this guy. And um, uh, I gave him a couple of flies. He fished on for another bit. We caught a couple and away he went. A couple of Sunday nights ago, some of you might know we're at the Celebration of Hope uh, that um, uh, lead the way and, and Crown Jesus had on in, in the waterfront as an evangelical event. And um, uh, Andy and I were sitting chatting. And Aswan tapped me on the shoulder. He said, here, I want you to meet a friend of mine. And I looked around and he said, this is, this is Clive Atchison. He's the pastor of Willowfield Parish Church. And I looked around and lo and behold, it was the guy. 
that, that we had seen fly fishing. And we were like, what the heck? And he was the minister of Willowfield. And, and he, says, he says, I need to tell you, I've been preaching about you too. Like to my, to my church this morning. I was like down and I'm going, I found more love and more, more compassion and people helping me on the river sometimes than I did in church. And I was giving my people a hard time. And then he found out we we're both pastors. It, it was just a real funny moment and God just did something in that. But what I'm trying to say is this, is that, that relationally we can't keep doing what we've always done. You know, giving people who are full of sin a hard time. Because the truth is this, we're just the same. And until we readjust our mindsets to go, actually, there's both good and bad in us all, and we're okay with that, and out of that place, God still flows. Now, he, he doesn't want to leave us where, where we're at. So there is a discipleship process. It's called sanctification. It's getting yourself out of here to here. But if it becomes the main goal, we've lost what, what, what Jesus did for us. And, and these covenant relationships are meant to be built on the basis of love and honor. And true honor is, is whenever that we live in a, a society where these eternal relationships are meant to last whenever we live in a society where relationships are out the window very quickly. In fact, it's getting worse. We live in a culture that's so temporal in nature. Family structures and family systems are breaking down. We see people church hopping. We see the fractures of this and fractures of that. We see broken relationships consistently devastating over and over. And we've lost momentum in, 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 in things like marriage and family and community and, and we've seen these broken covenants. These generations and the connections that we have have become a target of our enemy. And, and he's coming in after it. Why? Because a defragmented church cannot stand together. A, a, a church divided cannot stand together. And unfortunately, we've, we've been divided. You know, it's really funny. I, I think the more I go on, the more I think back to my Catholic days and kind of go, you know, they've done something right. Protestants. Why don't just fall out with each other, hold grudge, and then start their own churches? It's kind of it's kind of how, how it's been done all these years. You know, the Catholic Church has been the same for for almost seventeen hundred years, and you're like, you know, there's something to be said in in in, in that level in in many ways, and yet our enemy is is empowered through our minimization of the of keeping the value of a covenant relationship. Let me say that again: the enemy wins when we undervalue and undermine understanding of what covenant relationship looks like. These covenant relationships are meant to last a lifetime. They're meant to be built as living stones. When living stones come together, we, we come together as this body that builds this incredible temple of worship for God. Now, it's not about liking people. It's not even about loving them. It's uh, that we honor all people. Now, that's a really hard thing to do, and it's a challenge when I read it again. How do you honor all people? You see, it might be easy for you to honor all people in church. What about your job? How do you honor those that you don't like? Maybe you work in a staff team of 25 or 30. How do you honor them? How do you treat the person who hates you the most? How do you manage the person covenantly that you, 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 you just struggle with all of the time? And yet, yet, it's not just meant to be these covenant relationships in church. We're meant to have covenant relationships with all people. How do we honor all people um, when, when, when we don't really know how to honor? I often say to our team, come and fight with me. You know, you got a problem? Come fight your corner. I won't bite. I'll fight, but I won't bite. And, and they're like, and, and the problem with Northern Ireland people is this. For 700 years, we've done conflict really well, and yet we really stuck at personal conflict. 
you know, we avoid it like the plague. Who's the, who's the conflict avoiders? Come on, there's more of you in here. I know that. And then who are the ones that definitely don't avoid conflict? <laughs> it's a, no way, I know you all. <laughs> and, and what happens is this, is that we sit in this place and we hide because we're afraid to have an honor. Why is that? Because we've lost something about what it is to honor. If you honor enough the person who, who you're having a conflict with, you'll not be afraid to have conflict with them knowing that the relationship is steadfast and all. Um, one of the things that is important that you understand as a leadership is here is that um, one of the things that's really important about this honor thing is to take agreement off the table. It's really, really important that you learn this. Uh, just because someone disagrees with you doesn't make them your enemy. And, and, and for too many years, that's what we've done. If you don't agree with me, I can't be your friend. And, and, you know, and we see it in churches. You know, if, if, if you don't agree with our theology, you're done. If you don't agree with what the pastor does or says, you're done. And one of the things that we, we learned, and again, I really encourage you to go buy Danny's book, Culture of Honor. One of the things that we did very early on was take agreement off the table of our eldership. Um, we probably are more closer now theologically in the same line than we've ever been, but that hasn't always been the case. Because there's things that, that we agree on and things that we don't agree on. And, you know, it's really funny when Ian and I started, we were on different camps on many issues. Um, but he saw the light and came my way. <laughs> um, what do I mean when I say we take agreement off the table? The, the end result in our relationship isn't to find agreement. So hear me, there's fundamentals that we have to agree on. You know, one of my elders comes and says, Jesus is a little alien from space from Mars, who didn't really die on the cross, then we have a problem. There's fundamentals that we have to agree on. But what I'm talking about is how we do life, the way that we see, how we get on. And the way we work in, in, in our eldership is a, any elder can present something to the table, and it's discussed. And it might be prayed over for a month or two. This is what we're thinking about doing. Here's how we're praying about it. And they'll go away, and they come back. And if one elder says, we're not doing that, it doesn't happen. So in one sense, we have agreement at a level. But it isn't that Catherine and I agree, or Ian and I agree, or Thomas and I agree. It's, it's not about that. It's about understanding that we've got a call and a mission, and then that's the most important thing. So that agreement becomes under the table. Last, that we don't need to be afraid of conflict in an elders meeting in order to move forward. And it's hard when you're not used to conflict. The problem is conflict, for too many people, conjures up all sorts of weird ideas. Um, what if there's a healthy conflict? You know, I, I do this a lot, but if I see broken relationships in the church, I will often blow it up. My interns come in, and one of the things last year, they were, they were having a little bit of struggle with each other, and they're all coming to me moaning. And uh, I got them in a room on a Thursday, and I said, okay, I've got some things to sort out. Uh, you said this about them, and you said this about them, and they're like, ah! and I'm like, and I sort it out. And, and you, you forced them into a place because sometimes what happens is this, is that we need to put a hand grenade into the bucket and blow it up in order to force some people into place. That's what good leadership does. But if you're sitting struggling with some of that, well, what happens to that is you've lost this understanding of how do I honor that other person? How do we move to that? Um, first, John 4.18 says, uh, perfect love casts out all fear. But I want to say this, all fear casts out all love. See, if God's perfect love casts out fear, fear will also cast out love. Can I tell you something? If you live 
in a relationship or have been brought up in a fear-based type relationship system, fear will break honor and love very quickly. Why? Because if you're afraid to say something, do something, or act a particular way, because you will lose that person's love, affection, or attention, that is, that is a very quick way to lose honor. So fear creeps in, and, and you're not honoring out of honor and love. You're honoring out of fear. The Bible says, honor your mother and father. But what's interesting, we stop there. But it says, in honoring your mother and father, you will have abundant life and an inheritance for the rest of your life. You see, honor our parents produces something at an under level. And, and, and what happens sometimes is this. We say, well, I do honor my mom and dad. But many of us in Northern Ireland honor out of fear, out of false humility, and out of disrespect. It's not true honor. I often say to people, um, how much do you love your mom or your dad? And they say, oh, I really love my mom and dad. I say, well, I'm not so sure you do. Why? Because it's easy to hate the people that we don't know or somebody else is for them. But one of the things I've discovered is this. We, we, we have a lot more problems with people that are significant in our lives. And someone said to me the other day, I said, how much do you love your mom? They said 80%. I said, that's fantastic. 80%, that's really good. That's quite high. I said, but what about the 20%? You know, what, what, what about the 20% that, that's, that's hiding in there? And they say, well, I don't really talk about that. He says, I think that's the point I'm trying to make. You see, here's what happens is, is, is love hides a bunch of things. And, and, and honor, honor someone is quite hard to do if there's 20% of something lurking around under the surface. And, and I'll often say to them, well, let's talk about the 20%. Don't want to. Let's talk about the dishonor. And I'll often say to someone, you, say, you, you honor your mom and dad, but what happens if there's something deep down in there that's bringing dishonor? What's more truth? Jesus said, you shall know the truth. And the, what happens when the truth in that 20% is really bad? <laughs> I, I was speaking to the senior leader of a, of a very well-known church lately. And uh, I said to him one day, I said, if you could call your dad a name, what would you call him? And an expletive burst out of his mouth. And he put his hand over his mouth and he said, I've been a pastor for 40 years and never swore once until today. And I says, well, I've showed you something. I've showed you a truth about what you really feel about your family. And I said, you're right. He said, I never knew that was in there. And, and the problem with this is we honor falsely or we honor out of fear or we honor out of respect. When God actually wants us to deal with that, now how do you deal with the 20%? Of someone. Let's say you've got a mother who's critical. She's always always criticizing and you're running away. Done it your whole life. And you'll be coming along and you'll go, I love my mummy. You know, especially if you're a man and you're from Ireland. We love our mummies, mummies boys. And yet she was just critical all the time. You see, we want the mummy without criticism. So what we do is we separate mummy out of crit out, we separate the criticism out here and, and we take mummy here and we try to want this mummy without the criticism. But the problem with that is mummy comes with the criticism. But what he says, well, I can love her for this, but I don't love that. Honor is when you take that criticism, you integrate it into your mother, you forgive her for the criticism, you accept that that's who she is because you've only got one mum. I guess we give you her, God. And you can't love her bit part. 
You have to love her whole. And when you choose to love her with the criticism, forgive her, accept that that's what she's like, and then give her permission to criticize you. You break the power and the hold. And what happens is this. What, what, was, what was dishonor suddenly becomes a true honor. And, and it's really important that we understand that God's called us to develop deeper relationships. And the difficulty is the relationships that are closest to us are the ones that have damaged us the most. And true honor in church and in life comes. And I suppose it, it, the book works very well why we ended up in with our ministry of faith therapy. Because this is what we try to do, is help people have true honor and love to those that it's very difficult to do. How do you love those and honor those that you find it hard to do? I mean, how do you do it? Do you, do you cut and run and have a default to go, just not going to speak to them, I'm going to avoid them? We, we love avoidance in this country. My goodness, we, we avoid everything. Do, do you just kind of go, well, I'll treat them wrongly as Christians? You know what I really felt this morning? Some of you, you need to go and you need to go and speak to some people you haven't spoken to for a very long time. Some of you need to forgive someone who's hurt you implicitly. And a lady who I grew up with in, in school, and her sister came to see me uh, for counselling, and she'd been battering at her sister to come and see me. Uh, I knew this girl's life had fallen apart. What had happened was quite a few years ago, her son uh, was a young Catholic lad. And he was chased through Alamina, and four young lads kicked him to death. And she lost her way. She lost her husband, her family. She was on every drug you can imagine. Um, was homeless for a period of time, and was wandering around Antrim aimlessly, wired out of her head. And her sister, you know, kept trying to rescue her. Eventually, after a long time, she came to see me, and. Uh, I said I wouldn't see her when she was hired on. She came in one day and she was pretty sober. And we began to talk for two years. She came to see me. And she told me the story over and over and over again. It was like a, a stuck in there. Just replayed. And how do you tell a mother to forgive the four lads that murdered her son? There's an added dimension. If your son came home and he had a brain hemorrhage, she didn't know that. I said, Mommy, I've got a sore head. I'm going to go to bed. And she says, Okay, son. They're in the bed, and she hated herself. And she was stuck in a cycle where she lost her way. And I said, Look, I'm not telling you you have to forgive and honor. I'm just telling you the only way out of your prison is to do this. And for two and a half years, every three or four weeks, she came to see me. And eventually, one day, she came in and she says, I know I need to do this, but I don't want to. I said, well, let's give it a go. And for two and a half hours, she sat there and she called those four lads, every name you can imagine, over and over and over again. And came this incredible, important moment. And I said to her, I said, do you think you can forgive them? And she says, yes. She went through them one by one by name forgive every single one of them for what they did because she had read the court documents of what every single one of them did in detail. She forgave every single one of them after the last time. And the room shifted like that. And I said, now there's somebody else you need to forgive and you need honor. She says, who's that? I said, that's yourself. 
My daughter just stared at herself in a mirror, and I wanted to forgive myself. You see, it's because God both gave you life and death, and He knew that was your son's coma. He called him home, and you're holding on to him, and you need to let go. So through this process, I hadn't seen her probably for another six months after that. And she came last Easter to our Easter egg event, and she tapped me on the shoulder, and she was haircut, lost weight, makeup on. Her husband was back by her side, and all her kids were back. She said, look, I said, to see that? She says, that day changed my life, and you were right. I wandered around holding on to stuff for two and a half years, aimlessly, and I realized that the only way I could move forward was to forgive them. Do you know who else was at that event? One of the boys that murdered her son. And in that moment she saw him, she says, I see him with his family. It's okay. How do you honor that that is difficult to honor? Is that not what Jesus does with us? When Jesus came to earth, he didn't, he didn't set a bar so high that we couldn't make it. He didn't create a fear culture so high that the expectations of how we behave. He challenged it, but he never set a bar. In fact, when the Pharisees had the bar set and he said to the woman caught in adultery, hey, I don't condemn you, go. Jesus put the bar on the floor. Why is that? Well, because we need to understand that both good and evil exist within us. And it's because of the redemptive power of Christ and what he did give us freedom. That's why we can be royally screwed up and God still uses us. But even more than that, in a state of royal screw up, Jesus, for, for some weird reason, comes along and he saves us and he blesses us and he continues to bless us, even to the point of death when we're still royally screwing up. And the problem with this is this, in Northern Ireland, but particularly the church, we have no idea how to honor ourselves. And some of you need to learn how to honor yourself. Some of you need to learn how do I honor myself and who I am? Because what do we do? Well, the church has told you you need to be perfect. What happens if perfection's not the bar? What happens if just being a normal human being that Jesus saved is the bar? And let him be perfect because he is perfect. And because he was perfect and died for us, he made us perfect so that we don't have to be perfect. It's so messed up. And yet the bar's on the floor and we create a standard where we go, I can't honor myself. I ask people how much they love their parents. Some say 80%. I want to ask you this question. How much do you love yourself? I, I asked a room full of people that this week. Do you know the average Christian loves themselves between 50 and 60%? It's terrible. I say, how much do you love God? 99%. We're good at that. I say, how much do you love your parents? 80, 75, 80%. How much do you love yourself? Go do it. How much do you love yourself? Uh, 50%. 60%. Two young girls, teenagers, you know what they say? 25%. And yet, those relationships that we have, relationship with God, relationship with each other, relationship with self, are so biblical and so right that we forgot because we spend most of our time working on our relationship with God, not enough time working on our relationship with ourselves. 
greatest commandments, love your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's a trinity of relationships. Maybe some of you need to learn how to honor yourself. Give yourself a break. Stop beating yourself up. If you're fallen and you're consistently tripping up, I know this is a backward thing for a pastor to say. I want you out of it. But try accepting it for a while and see what happens. You know, I've discovered when you love, honor, and accept what's going on in your life, it seems to lose power and then you stop doing it. If you try to lose it and try to stop it consistently over and over again, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results and not getting them, you know, someone said that was a sign of madness. But actually what I've discovered is this, if you just accept that actually, hey, this is a little flaw inside of me that isn't going to go away in a hurry and I don't know how to get rid of it. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to love myself anyway, the way I am. I'm going to accept my belly. My bingo wings. My crooked nose. My dodgy eyes. But what about your heart? I'm an ugly person inside. Do you know how many Christians I speak to? They're like, oh, woe is me. I'm such a terrible person. You haven't learned to honor yourself. And yet Jesus implicitly says, until you start to learn to love yourself. Can I tell you, loving yourself is one of the most amazing things that you can learn to grow. Um, that group of students I was speaking to said, how much do you love yourself, John? I thought, I'm probably about 95 or 96% right now. And I'm not saying that from any boastful. I had to work incredibly hard on me to get to that point. But I probably, five or seven years ago, would have said probably 60, 70%. And the more that you work on yourself, because you're the only person that knows yourself and God, the more honor you give yourself. Can I tell you something? The more powerful you become, the more free you become, the more anointed you become, the more God just seems to use you. And, and even if you don't get there, the thing about God is, He still uses you anyway. Because none of us would be here. You know, I, I, I sometimes wonder, how, how the heck did I get here? Like, I'm... I'm I, I'm nothing. And yet into that nothingness, like the boy Jesus comes and finds us. Uh, I, I want to challenge you as I finish today. How do you learn honor in a way that understands that covenant relationships are actually a trinity? Relationship with God, which Christians we work very hard at. We're not so good at working so hard on the relationship. Just turn that down a little bit. We're not, so, we're not so good about working on the relationships this way. Our parents, our friends, our family. And we're really, really terrible at working on the relationship with ourselves. Whatever you've done, whatever you continue to do, no matter how bad it is, there is nothing, nothing that isn't easy for Jesus to take care of. said to this, this guy, I says, does God forgive you? He says, yes. I says, so why can't you? I just can't. Do you know how many people are stuck there? It's unbelievable, actually, in the church. So here's what I'm going to give you homework today. When you get home today, and I want you to write all the things down you need to forgive yourself for. And then I want you to do something that Jesus asked you to do, which you should have done a long time ago. Is forgive yourself for all those things.
And here's the funny thing. Guess what you're going to do tomorrow again? You're going to make all those same mistakes, except this time it's different. Because accepting that, that God's continually in a process. And you know what Paul discovered? And I don't know how this works, but sometimes there's a thorn that he puts in us that he just leaves with us. Because there's one thing I've learned about God is this, is that the more struggle you have, the better you grow. There is no growth without struggle. And for some reason in the kingdom of God, we want the easy route. And yet, God refines us in the fire. He deals with us directly. And he loves us too much to leave us the way we are. It's an awful, it's an awful Christianese quote, but it's so, so true. And yet, the only person that can do anything about that is you. But he only come back up again. Um, Bill Johnson a few weeks ago taught on a grace revival. It, it really struck me because I thought, flipping right, if ever the church in our country needs anything, it needs a grace revival. Well, I was like, how do you do that? Well, what, what is grace? Um, someone said to me, what's the difference between mercy and grace? And I said, well, mercy is letting them off with something that they deserved. If someone hurts you and they deserve a punishment, mercy is letting them off of that. And I says, grace is the ice cream that you buy them afterwards. And, and you need to understand the difference because forgiveness is mercy. Forgiveness is letting someone off the hook who doesn't deserve to be off the hook. And mercy is you buying them an ice cream after by grace is you buying them an ice cream afterwards. I don't want to do that. And that's not forgiveness and it's not mercy. So it starts way back here. And we have to get a grace revival in church where we understand, hey, I will not let you determine what I think about you. No matter how much you hate yourself. No matter how much you hate me, no matter what you say about me, I will not let that define me. Honor can come and go, say what you like, do what you like, act however you want. It won't affect who I am. And can I say this? All those other people who are giving you trouble, here's a bombshell to end on. They're not actually your problem. Do you know who's your problem? You. You're the problem. Because if you've got a big red shiny button inside of you, Somebody can come along and push. And it rattles something inside of you and you get all frustrated and annoyed and angry and upset and do the drama thing. I'm going to make a suggestion and say that that's your big red shiny button. And your job's not to take the red shiny buttons out of other people because we do a good job of going and pushing them. I mean, how many people just wind people up and you know, I got a button, I got pushing Oh, you know what I'm talking about. Husbands and wives looking at each other going, hmm. What if God wants you to take away your own big red shiny book? That you deal with your own stuff. So that when somebody comes along, they, there's no buttons for them to press. Because I've dealt with all my buttons. You know what I've discovered? All the buttons that come out of me make me love myself more. 
The more I do with me, the more freedom I become. You know what else I discovered? The more I do with me, the more grace I get, and the more grace I'm able to give. And the, the more that I deal with me, the more love I have for myself and other people. Even the ones that don't like me. I, I've got quite a few enemies. I peep people off regularly. I don't think I peep as many people off as I used to. Maybe that's something that God's doing, but here's what I'll say. If I peep you off, it's not my problem, it's yours. But here's a good thing. I used to let you peep me off, and I don't, you don't get to do that anymore. Because I don't let what you do define who I am, and that's true honor. And you can get yourself to that, you'll understand something about the culture of honor. Now, it's a complex thing, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give you another homework after you wrote down all the list of sins and forgive yourself for it. I want you to go and buy Danny Silk's book, Culture of Honor. Because if you want to know what this really is, he much more eloquently than I can today explain what that looks like. But as you read those first two chapters of the book, just let them touch your heart. Go and read it. It's a, and a, you know, there's other stuff that does um, keep your love on. But I really want to encourage you. You want to understand more about what, what honor looks like and how that looks like. And hopefully I've given you enough food for thought today that it touches something inside of you. Why don't you stand? I felt that um, there was at least one person here, maybe more, had lost their way. They feel like they're traveling nicely along a road and the wheels came off the wagon and the wagon ended up down a ravine. And you feel like you can't get out of the ravine. And instead of trying to help yourself out of it, you're just sitting there going, I don't really know how to get out of this. And you stay stuck. I felt like Lord saying, you have to be proactive in getting yourself out of the wagon that's crashed, climb up the ravine and get back on the road and ask for help. And I felt specifically there was two ladies and I felt like the Lord said, hey, you can't walk the journey alone. You can't stay where you're at. And I felt like the Lord said, it's time for you to buckle up, put your big girl's pants on and get back up out of the ravine. And the, other, the other thing I felt the Lord spoke to me about specifically was that there is some secret harboring of bitterness towards a specific person. And you know you're bitter because the Lord's challenged you on this. And bitterness is like a blanket. When it gets hold of you, it becomes a root inside of you and it grows within inside of you. And it will consume you and eat you like ivy around an old building. And that bitter root judgment that the Bible speaks of will destroy your life and create a grudge. And I felt the Lord saying, some of you have allowed bitterness and resentment to control your life. And you've kept it secret. You try to try your best not to show anybody that that's what you're like. And yet, it oozes out of you because we've got three languages. And you know what I mean. We, communication language, we speak out of our mouth. Uh, we've got body language. And then we've got what we call the unspoken. You know what I mean when someone says something with their mouth and everything about them just does not match what they're saying. And bitterness is oozing. And I feel like the Lord said, would you, would you have a grace revival for that person tonight, today? Would you go and make the phone call to the person who's hurt you and damaged you? 
And here's the thing about this. The response and the result isn't the goal. I'll say that again. The response and the result isn't the goal. It's about your heart. It's about letting go. And it doesn't matter what the person does. You can't control that. I really feel that if you're bitter or angsty like someone, please come and speak to me. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, that you honoured us first, Lord, when you died on a cross and you gave us what you got. And today, Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would, by the power of your spirit, give us the strength to see the things we cannot see and the heart to deal with the things that we need to deal with, Lord. And Lord, for those that are resentful and bitter today, God, Lord, come and break open with the wells of a grace revival in Jesus.